0: I'm Hillary, I'm Emily, and we're the Sirens. Today we're talking about Mr. and Mrs. Smith, a 1941 screwball directed by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, spoiler, written by Norman Krasna and starring Carol Lombard and Robert Montgomery. It also features Jean Raymond, Jack Carson, Philip Marival, and Lucille Watson, perhaps the only other woman in the film. Anne and David Smith are a happily married New York City couple, or are they? While their marriage is peppered with disagreements that last four days and arcane roles that Anne creates to help make their relationship unique, they are more or less happy. Then one day, <laughs> David arrives at work after a three-day spat with Anne to find a man from her hometown with news that technically... And this is a very small technicality. Anne and David aren't actually married. David cooks up a plan to tell his wife. And meanwhile, the old hometown friend ends up back at the Smith residence where he breaks the news to Anne and her mother. David calls Anne up to invite her on a romantic evening, which Anne assumes will end with another marriage proposal. When it does not, chaos and shall we say some screwball comedy, Mm -hmm. not to mention some antics at Lake Placid, ensue.
1: Wow. That that was a good summary, Hill.
0: <laughs> a lot of <'Cause>, uh,
1: silliness? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, lot of silliness and a lot of gags in this movie. Um, and we should also mention that this is a very special episode, not like the 1990s sitcoms where it's about drugs or something bad happening, but <laughs>
0: we have our spouses on today. For a movie about spouses. We brought um, our spouses. I didn't.
1: Did you do that on purpose? No. I mean, yes. So last year, uh, Mike and Jen joined us for Arsenic and Old Lace in the fall. And this year, they're joining us for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So hopefully this can become a a regular tradition. Yay, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. So I bioed Robert Montgomery, who plays David in the movie, uh, and he was born Henry Montgomery Jr. in 1904 in Fishkill Landing, New York. His father, Henry Montgomery, was president of the New York Rubber Company, so he enjoyed wealth and comfort in his early childhood. But his family lost their fortune, and his father, who was suffering from mental illness, died by suicide jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge in
0: 1922.
1: Oh, my God. I know. So it was a real reversal of fortunes there. Um, and he worked at a number of jobs as a youth and eventually went to New York to be a writer. And on the advice of a friend, he tried acting. He worked with George Cooker on the stage, and that got him his first film at MGM, uh, which was So This Is College, which came out in 1929. And that's when he changed his name to Robert. The film gained him attention as Hollywood's latest newcomer. And he was put in one production after another, his popularity growing steadily. And um, Norma Shearer figured in his rise. She chose him to star opposite her in The Divorcee in 1930, Strangers May Kiss in 1931, and Private Lives also in 1931. And that last one... uh, catapulted him to full stardom Um, he became president of the screen actors guild in 1935 and was later elected again in 1946 he played a psychopathic murderer in the thriller night must fall in 1937 for which he was nominated for the academy award for best actor and after world war ii began in europe in september 1939 but the US was still officially neutral. He enlisted in London for the American Field Service and drove ambulances in France until the Dunkirk evacuation. Uh, he then returned to Hollywood and did a big rally on the MGM lot for the American Red Cross in July 1940. And then he returned to playing comedy, which must have been a, a very tough <laughs> switch after that. He was in this movie, but he wanted something more dramatic. So for his role as jo- Joe Pendleton, a boxer and pilot and Here Comes Mr. Jordan in 1941, he was nominated for an Oscar for the second time. And well, after the U.S. entered the war in December 1941, he joined the U.S. Navy and rose to the rank of lieutenant commander. Hmm. Yeah, Uh, So he got, he got pretty high up there. Uh, He returned to MGM in 1945 and co-starred with John Wayne in the John Ford directed, they were expendable. And then he made his first credited directorial debut with lady in the lake in 1946. And then he, in terms of movies, he mostly switched to being an independent director. Bad news. He was a staunch Republican and He was a friendly witness before the House Un-American Activities Committee in 1947 during the McCarthy era. So, you know, on the opposite side of a lot of our favorites who we talk about on the podcast and he spent most of his later years on television and stage. His popular show, Robert Montgomery Presents, in 1950, was where his daughter, Elizabeth Montgomery, got her first acting job. And she's known for playing um, the witch Samantha Stevens on Bewitched. Yeah,
2: they resemble.
1: I I didn't realize they were related until I saw this, but you can really see it. Yeah, definitely. Um, And he died of cancer on September 27th, 1981, at age 77, at Columbia Presbyterian in Manhattan, which is where, like, everyone rich and famous seems to die (laughs) so so that's robert montgomery and i was thinking is this the first movie we've done with him in
0: it i think so i have trivia carol lombard was a devoted democrat and during break during filming she would rush out into the parking lot and put election bumper stickers on on montgomery's car (laughs) promoting the re-election of fdr (laughs) i love that That that's awesome Yeah, Cary Grant was the first choice for the role of David. This was the first Alfred Hitchcock movie to be shown on US network television. So by the movie's release date, the World's Fair that Jeff and Anne attended had been closed for several months because this movie is set in 1940, but it wasn't released um, until later. Um. So the parachute ride um, that they're on obviously wasn't at the World's Fair anymore. It had been moved to Coney Island. Um, oh,
1: okay. But- I was wondering yeah. about that because I was like, wasn't that a lot further away from Manhattan?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. I know. I've- yeah. I have a lot of questions about time in this movie. Um, apparently one of Hitchcock's trademarks as a director was to have a conversation that's made difficult by noisy plumbing. And that's like in this movie, that's <laughs> where... Um, Jeff is talking to his parents in the bathroom in his office. Huh. This is the first movie that like I guess in American film history that features a pizzeria.
3: <laughs> wow.
0: And not a very good looking pizzeria. Well, it's like happy yeah. one.
3: It's a rough start for us Italians.
0: That's right. <laughs> Um, And I miss, I totally missed Alfred Hitchcock's um, uh, cameo, uh, but it is about halfway through the movie passing David Smith in front of his building and apparently Carol Lombard directed that cameo and she made him do multiple retakes just to be
1: (laughs) Good for her. Why not?
0: Um, that's, That's all the mildly interesting trivia I have for this movie. I have another piece of trivia. Oh. Uh, Jen has some other trivia.
2: I have the same birthday as Carol Lombard. (gasps) Different year.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for playing. Do Do you feel
1: connected to her, Jen?
2: I do actually. I really love her. And when I found out we had the same birthday for a while, I went through this phase where I was like, I felt like she was my like astral best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny.
1: Cause we did two other movies. Well, I think at least two, we did my man Godfrey and, uh, to have and have not on the podcast, but this was the first to time. Watched to, be to be or not to be. Oh, to be, or to be, or not to be. Sorry. Yes. Same, same One different. of those two movies. <laughs> And um, this was the first movie where I was just very struck by how beautiful she is.
2: Mm-hmm. She's just
1: in terms, like, I think there were a lot more close-ups of her face in this movie than in some of the other ones. Or maybe the shots were just clear, but, like, she's, her face is so
2: symmetrical. It's, all, like, uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. She's very beautiful. Beautiful. And very funny. Very, very funny, I think. I've always thought so.
0: Yeah, definitely uses that beautiful face to great comic effect. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Um, So, Jen, this was actually
2: your request, right? This movie? I think it was. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I remember we saw it years ago in my Carol Lombard phase that I was just talking about. And I thought it was, at the time, I just thought it was uproariously funny and, and so clever. And seeing it again, I thought,
3: well, I
2: don't think I like it quite as much as I did then, (laughs) but I do still love Carol Lombard and I'm, I'm still just very impressed with her acting with her, not just her comedy, but just the levels that she gets. Yeah, and I remember really loving Gene Raymond, mm-hmm. and I still liked him a lot in this too.
1: Yeah. So for Mike and and me, this was our first time watching it, and we both did laugh a lot at it.
3: Half the time was an exasperation, but <laughs> yeah. it was it was funny, but also very like like just. Kind of more suspension of disbelief that people would actually act that way half the time.
0: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, And then if they would just like, you know, talk to each other, like listen to each other. I mean, this is true, I think, of so many movies that we. I've watched for this podcast, if you would just talk to each other and communicate, like, there would be no plot for this movie. (laughs) It's kind of of like uh, one of the platforms
2: of screwball comedy, I think, is that, like, Mm -hmm. ridiculous miscommunication. Yeah. Really extra ridiculous in this
1: one. I mean, this movie was more believable to me than, like, bringing
2: up baby or something like that. I mean, okay, sure,
0: I guess. (laughs) so
2: ridiculous. Yeah, the tiger kind of. This is a tiger, right? No, it's a leopard it's a leopard. Yeah. The leopard pushes it boundaries of believability. And
1: did you guys notice how there were so many like small parts with like a lot of like character actors we've seen a ton in other movies too. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. The guy who like, who comes to town to say like, Oh, you know, the, their hometown is, it was on the marriage license as being in one County, but it's actually in another County. In a different state. I don't even like such a technicality. I don't even know. Um, we'd seen him in multiple movies. Yeah. <laughs> Which, how would you like to have that job? <laughs> <You>
3: know, like <laughs> traveling the world, tracking
1: down people who got married in your county to tell them that there was a clerical error. And here's, My
3: $2. here's your two dollars back. Yeah. Well, no, two dollars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just seems like you would just like fix the clerical error and like mail new paperwork out. Seems like better use of funds, but what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, instead of January. paying for this guy to travel all around. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys hadn't seen this movie before, is that right? Nope. No, we hadn't,
1: and I mean, I liked it better than I was expecting to. Actually, I there was just a lot of really weird details in it that I found funny, like. The cat in the restaurant <laughs> like i thought that was really funny that was
2: really funny um yeah, just right. a
1: lot of the facial expressions that carol lombard and robert montgomery were making throughout mm-hmm. i thought they both had very good comedic timing mm-hmm. and like for me it was more their physical acting and their expressions than
2: the dialogue mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that
0: yeah they kind of rides above a sort of me- mediocre script mm-hmm. i was curious I'm yeah gonna, i actually
2: kind of
1: oh so like, go ahead oh i was just gonna say i wish they had actually given carol lombard more dialogue because there was a lot there were a lot of scenes where she's just nodding did like did you guys notice that i was like this is such a hitchcock movie like just <laughs> have the woman nodding
0: yeah
2: at various points with great hair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say?
2: I was going to say that I was curious, Emily, what you would think about it. Because even in my memory of it, finding it so funny the first time I saw it, and and then again, watching it this time. I mean, I think it's funny and it's a screwball, but there's a lot of like, kind of, there's this undercurrent of violence, you know, like the stories mm-hmm. about how he, he rips her dress and, you know, he can't control himself and, the slapsticky stuff they do where he's like kind of strangling her. And I thought, oh, Emily's going to like, she's not going to like this. It's too dark. <laughs> no, so, <laughs> It's interesting that I was like, oh, I guess no. I, w- I was afraid you would hate it. No,
1: um, I didn't hate it. I mean, I think it would have bothered me more if it felt like that. I mean, not that I'm saying this is great, but at least in the movie, it felt like it was a two way street. They were both sort of violent people. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. And it was pretty clear that the Anne character wanted someone who was more of like an alpha male and not someone, not that Robert Montgomery is like super macho or anything, but like (laughs) someone who would get heated and like fight and Mm -hmm. she wanted that. And she had the, like, you know, Jeff was into her, but he was a gentleman and she was frustrated by that. Like he didn't really try anything with her. And I mean, there was also sort of an undercurrent of like, you know, a lot of sexual tension. And like, I felt like the violence and the sexual tension were sort of parallel. Like the fact that Jeff wasn't like a heated person, made him less appealing sexually and she wanted someone who was gonna be like
2: aggressive. Yeah.
0: Yeah, aggressive in like all the forms.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean she does when she's telling Jeff about those stories. What's the guy's name? David David. Um, you know, sort of mauling her, she does it seems she seems to relish the she's rel you know, she's she's it's not like she's sad about it. These are like happy stories to her.
3: So what what did she say to him at the end like um when Jeff was like I forgive you David. This is gonna be happening time to time. Like what did she call him? Do you remember? It was something really funny. Oh
2: yeah. What did you call him? Oh yeah. It was like Lily Witted or like
1: something. Yeah,
3: kind of- I'll, I'll I'll try and look it up.
1: Did you guys I mean, obviously it's like it's Hitchcock, but didn't you feel like that whole setup of them being in this cabin and they're sort of cut off from the main lodge and the phone lines go down and all like it and then he's there it felt like it also could have been a horror movie yeah it could
0: have gone in a totally different direction totally yes yeah totally i mean i was like yeah i wouldn't want to be somewhere like that doesn't sound like a restful retreat to be half a mile away from the lodge and not have a sleigh service or Um, a phone like that sounds um like a nightmare (laughs) yeah that's interesting because I I
2: remember again the first time we saw this I thought oh this is definitely a Hitchcockian comedy I mean there's not a lot of Hitchcock comedies but it does have it does feel like like with that those elements like you know if he decided to go the other direction with it he could have made this basic contours of this movie into something scary yeah
1: i mean can we talk about well two things one is like you know what the heck with jeff just being like all right now i'm gonna try to marry my partner's wife yeah (laughs) Yeah, out of nowhere i mean that's one thing and then the other thing is i had a really hard time figuring out where Anne's head was like it kind of in the middle of the movie yeah like was it all just a bluff? Like she, it really seemed like she was kind of going to go through with marrying Jeff.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) But she didn't seem to like, I mean, she was just kind of willing to go along with whoever, but there was no chemistry there. So, I mean, those, those are two questions I have.
0: Well, and I have a related question, which, well, in my mind, it's related because it like helps it would help me understand a little bit more these two your two questions which is like just over how many days or like what amount of time is this movie supposed to be unfolding because on on the one hand it feels like it's like it could be like over a number of weeks which like okay like i can like that makes it seem like okay maybe jeff's jeff's actions are still a little bit weird because like weeks are not that long but on the other hand like it also seems like it could this movie like takes place over the course of like number of days in which case like jeff's actions are totally like you know that he would be suddenly and out of the blue pursuing her and that she would like be like yes of course i will marry you after a a couple of days seems very weird so like i don't know how to answer your questions
1: (laughs) i mean i I thought the the short timeline is a really good it made it seem way more ridiculous with jeff like he's just swooping in (laughs) and just like oh you, your marriage was dissolved? All right, day one.
2: Um, uh, I always liked you. So
1: <laughs> let's yeah, see if we can
2: make this happen. That did was, I can't come up with any reasonable explanation for that or even non-reasonable one. The thing about her, I mean, I don't think it's plausible necessarily, but I think maybe what they were trying to do with her, you know, seeming to really in, be intending to marry Jeff The idea might have been that, like, she's just that this woman is just that reactive and irrational that, you know, she was so hurt by not just the fact that he didn't propose that night, but remember earlier in the day before they even got the news. Oh, right. He had said he wouldn't have done it all. He he wouldn't have been gotten married.
0: Oh, right. She she posed a hypothetical question. He said, no, I wouldn't
2: marry you. So she was injured right from the very beginning before she ever found out that then they weren't, in fact, married. And then he didn't propose. And it seemed to, to me that it was like him not proposing when she thought he was going to just reaffirmed what she had felt earlier in the morning. So she was sort of doubly upset. And the character seems to be presented as someone who was just a little bit, you know, I don't know what the word is, but just like enough of a loose cannon that she would just would recklessly do something that she didn't really even want to do. I don't necessarily think it's actually believable, but I think maybe that's what the, you know, what we're supposed to believe. But the thing about Jeff proposing just, yeah, this makes no sense to me at all.
1: I felt like that, to me, the conversation over the breakfast when they didn't realize, they didn't know yet that they weren't legally married was way worse than his Mm -hmm. not, like, immediately addressing, you know, the the legal technicality. Because he was basically saying, like, you know, honestly, like, I would just rather not be married.
2: (laughs) Mm Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and such a terrible thing to say. Just to riff on that for a little longer, him doing that in the very beginning is so like crappy that then the fact that all through the rest of the movie, he's like, well, I want you back. I want you, I want you. Why don't you understand that I want you? Him having done that just belies all of those claims throughout the movie, but it's sort of just conveniently forgotten that he did it. Because I mean, he did that without even knowing. And now he's trying to say, well, I, you know, I'm trying to get you back. And if I were her, I'd be like, okay, fine. You're trying to get me back after finding out we're not actually married. But this morning you said you didn't want to be married, you know? So we still have a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you have, he, I think he was trying to separate the hypothetical from the real, like, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really make any sense, but that's his direction for it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, very obviously he's not going to change his mind about his life right now and should probably never have said that (laughs) but i think the thing that really kind of like set her off at the end was the fact that he was like going to try to go to bed with her when he knew they weren't married and that was just kind of like too much
0: wait
1: which one
0: david was gonna like get into bed with her even though he knew that he knew that they weren't married
1: oh i mean that whole whole part I mean, I guess this was the time, but that seemed so prudent, like the whole idea that everyone's like, oh my gosh, that means you're a mistress.
3: Well, yeah, but that's that's why her mother was so freaked out. And I think that at that time, you know, one thing that could have been in the forefront of her mind was, like, I'm so unsure of my status right now, and I cannot, like, be with this man, well, then I better get married quick, so that I no longer have this like mistaken identity of myself or you know my uncertain place in the world i think is also part of it Hmm.
0: well and then when she went to like she went out and like got a job as a single woman and that was so so easily shaken because david just showed up and said no this is my wife and they like retracted the job because of the economic crisis or whatever, where they were only hiring single women, and so yeah, I think you you're on to something, Mike. That like yeah, like the only stability for her was to be in a marriage.
3: And I I just don't understand what was going on with that law firm. I mean, he was like not working for <laughs> months at a time, not showing up. The partner was like trying to marry his ex wife or whatever. <laughs> Without even, like, talking to him about it or anything and just thought business was going to go on and he was never there either. Like, I don't know how that law firm kept going. It made no sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think you you are making good points that, like, it really seemed like the reason that David wanted to get back with Anne was because, like, other people were after her. Mm. And that, like, I feel like this could have been a very different movie if it was just like, oh, he's sitting back thinking, well, now I have this decision to make. And, like, she really doesn't have any other prospects. Yeah. It just, it would have been so different because this was basically, you know, it instantly became like, oh, now she's going to be something you can't have. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> he wanted her back.
3: I, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as he he thought the whole thing was ridiculous. And wanted to stay married to her. But then she just kept making him upset by acting like it was a big deal that he didn't do it the proper way. And then, you know, just wanted to like, let her calm down, let it blow over, not have to deal with the drama. And then was like, wait, you're actually taking this seriously and trying to see all these other people that's and then got upset and then was like well i guess i have to do something about it now instead of just waiting he wasn't really going after anyone else you know
2: yeah i I think that's right that makes sense to me
3: although i I feel like we need to talk about the florida club and um (gasps) oh
2: my (laughs) god because
3: that was just like such a source of hilarity that i didn't think it was going to be it
2: was funny it was really funny well those two women were just hilarious eating like they're eating chicken or the quail or whatever it was oh, pheasant yeah. pheasant so that's pheasant, just... like
0: some bird and She kept referring to it as chicken
3: oh my god the the celery i could not get over yes. the cel- <laughs> for a limited time only at the florida club everyone three dollar pheasant dinner drinks dancing and all of the stalks of celery you can eat <laughs> like, they're just chomping on it in a tuxedo in <laughs>
1: Uh, I liked when she said that the pheasant was dry and that it was a racket
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know good. kind of what amazed me about that was just how audaciously unladylike they were those women and just mm. how I don't know because I got the impression like oh this is like a high class club you know I'm, and I'm wondering like what the commentary was you know, like supposed to be there on, on that. Cause they were, I mean, they were, they were pretty far out there in terms of being like, what's the word? I don't know, crass or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's hysterically funny, but it almost made me feel uncomfortable for them. You know what I mean? In this posh, seemingly posh yeah. setting.
0: Well, I had this, like the, I kept picturing the younger one is like having played for like all American girls, like baseball league. she just seemed like- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a woman's baseball player and now like you know the men had come back and forced her back into society life and just like i'm a baseball <laughs> player i'm gonna eat this cousin <laughs> yeah, I want. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do whatever I want." Whatever. yeah you know all of this last few minutes
2: makes me think like oh i sort of wish there was like fan sites where, where where like that would explore and we talked about this when we watched it like like the context here, the actual context of the time and all of that is actually really interesting and they don't really deal with it, but it's sort of, you see it pop through or come through in various ways, like, you know, between David and Anne and these women and what you just said about like her only being able to. Be hired as a single woman, and then like the role of women in the 40s, and just like what was happening with men going off like all that stuff, you know, to me would be so interesting to have a little bit more. I don't think it would fit in this film, but like, I just, if there were a novel that this was based on, I would read it just to get that stuff.
3: It seemed like there would be a lot of background anxiety. With, I mean, this came out in 1941, but I assume, like, they were filming earlier, so they were filming in, like, the pre-America and the War mm, yeah. scenario. Mm-hmm. So there's probably this big background of uncertainty, like, a lot of turbulent change, all these constant, like, you know, news broadcasts from the war over the over the ocean, like, you know, probably a time where there was a lot of unsettling change. And some of it was opportunity, but a lot of it could have just been, you know, like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like everybody hunker down and don't take risks. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point.
3: Or the idea that, you know, at any moment they could join the war and 30% of the population could have to leave abruptly. You know, people's sons and husbands and everybody.
2: People like David and Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. I also just thought,
1: like, I was very struck by the incredible wealth of the
2: characters
1: in this movie like they you know there are two people he's a lawyer who doesn't seem to have to work much at all they have several servants and they live in a building with a doorman and you know she seems to kind of do nothing most of the time wearing a lot of furs too i don't know
2: if you noticed that Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah and if she couldn't uh, keep that job uh, even as a single woman, she would just move into her mother's like penthouse suite wherever her mother is. Like it was not like uh she was gonna be like out on the street in some kind of unsafe situation.
1: Yeah. And and the the club too. I mean, mm-hmm. how much must it cost to belong to the kind of club where you can show up any night and they have like basically a hotel room available to you? Yeah. Um, so I just was the, I, like, it it did feel a kind of a lot like rich people problems and that, yeah. like, if they had real problems in their lives, like, this would have even been a conflict. <laughs> they would have just been like, oh, better fix that marriage thing. Like, move it on because we got to figure out how to, like, get the medical treatment for Timmy or, like, something. Yeah, you know? yeah like, keep the yeah. lights on.
3: Yeah, they wouldn't even have time to, like, actually go and figure out if they wanted to date someone else. Like, that's not even an option. Yeah, especially in this day and age, so half the time, but
0: yeah. Yeah. rich people problems. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> basically, like so many of the movies that we watch, rich people problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it did. um I mean, the flip side is that as a viewer, I really enjoyed Carol Lombard's wardrobe in this movie. Like the costumes were amazing, and did did you notice she was wearing an ankle bracelet and polka dot pants?
0: I didn't notice the ankle bracelet. I definitely noticed her pants.
1: Yeah, she just looked amazing. I also liked her ski outfit with like the vest. Yeah, it was almost uh, like a suit with a vest top. That yeah. was really cool. Yeah, don't um, you just want to go skiing in a suit? Yes, <laughs> <I do. laughs> instead of like some neon puffer jacket. Well, it helps
3: so that you can bend your knees, but not too far. So, you know, keeps <sighs> you in the right spot.
1: <laughs> what did you all think of the resolution at the end of the
3: movie? Quote unquote
0: quote unquote resolution Uh, yeah i mean i kind of liked the just like classic bit of like he shows up and like fakes being sick and then like there's the several scenes of like where we know that he's like we like get an inkling that he's not sick and then we actually see that he's not sick after they've like taken care of him a couple of times and then like there's the moment where like she goes to like check on him like quietly and then she realizes that he's not sick i just loved like that was just such a like classic progression of comedy utterly ridiculous and
3: and her idea on how to catch him in the act is to oh my gosh shatter a giant pitcher of water against the the wall next to him (laughs) instead of just being like i saw you
2: (laughs) yeah yeah like hearing what sounds like you know, wild sex happening in the next room, he wouldn't come.
3: Oh my god, go her all
2: alone there.
3: <laughs> it it did it it sounded as though everyone was in trouble and nothing sexy was happening whatsoever. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and
3: that she was very unsure about what was happening <laughs> instead of very excited about it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, well t- speaking of you know, the parallel the parallel between the passion and the violence that whole last segment including the very last moment you know of the film when he's got her and she's in the skis and he's got her in that weird like hold and and that basically convinces her yeah that she wants him i mean it's kind of like oh like really that's that's what has he just needed to like manhandle you enough
1: yeah i mean that was i got the same feeling at the end of this movie that i got and I might have said this before on the podcast, but at the end of My Fair Lady, where Professor Higgins just says, where are my damn slippers? And that's supposed to be the end of the conflict. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're t- back together. Like, it just felt like nothing was resolved. And, like, the whole the whole way this drama unfolded and the opening of the film where they had been locked in their bedroom for how many days? Yeah, Three. and that
3: weird, that weird game they were playing with her sleeping or something. I don't know. I don't know what was happening,
1: but like that made me think these people shouldn't be married. Yeah, <laughs> like if yeah. You, so, like if there's someone you're fighting with that much that you like can't leave your house and you miss work, and then you also simultaneously realize that you think you would be happier single. <laughs> Like and then you get a get out of jail free card where you're like oh we wouldn't even have to get divorced we were never really married like some people would just be like okay let's go
2: our separate ways it's all about the sex I mean it seems to me like <laughs> that's the best bottom line in the movie is that these people are so hot for each other that anything goes I mean that's just that's my takeaway on all of that yeah and that, yeah. I mean because what else what other conclusion can can I draw I mean, They just can't keep their hands off each other. And that's
0: enough to like, I mean. Well, and she gets the stability in a, in a world that like where women still have very few options. She has the stability of like a life where
2: she doesn't have to work. Right. I mean, I would argue that that is not really elucidated in any full way in the movie. It's more like we see that, but I don't think the movie cares much about that, that storyline. I mean, that's just my take on it. Yeah i mean i agree with you that that would be the reality if these were real characters that would be the reality but i don't think the movie's very interested in that i think the movie's interested in the fact that they're so hot for each other
0: yeah getting as close as it possibly can to saying sex and talking about sex without actually talking about sex. yeah which
1: literally ending the movie with a big x <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> i think that's that's right jen and um some you know, people are different ways in relationships and some people really do like a lot of drama and like they like I have friends who are like, that's what they enjoy about relationships, like fighting and making up and trying to make the other person jealous and like all of that kind of stuff. So if that I mean, I guess that was like just how their relationship worked.
2: Yeah. Bananas. Uh, so exhausting.
3: Yeah. The whole movie just boiled down to don't hate the play, hate the game. Yeah. Um And, <laughs> but I, I agree with. I also agree with you. I mean, basically, the whole time he couldn't stop focusing on her, and actually, like, looked terrible, couldn't sleep, eat, or work. And then she tried to marry someone else, but still couldn't stop talking and thinking about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it was pretty obvious how that was going to go.
2: I will say the one thing that added really added depth to their relationship was her shaving him mm. like her the way that she shaved mm. him was so sweet and so that to me like that's was and i think that this was intended to because they start with it and then they end with it she shaves him best better than anyone knows how to shave him and they know like she just has to make the face of like you know move your lips to one side and he doesn't even have to look at her and he moves his lips to one side that like that's the human connection between them that isn't just about sex that there's there is something sweet and real and like caring between them and it comes like that's that's where we see it is the shaving and i have to say that is one of my favorite parts of the movie just visually like watching her do that and the dialogue in those little scenes is so i just love it yeah yeah
3: it was cute. It, made, it reminded me of how M had to cut my hair during the pandemic because there were no other options. <laughs> and oh, I really, I thought it was really nice. I enjoyed
1: uh, it. It. it was terrifying <laughs> <laughs> because Mike's mom is a hairdresser. So he has very specific. Oh, wow. He was like, You got to use the number one. And like, I don't know how to cut hair. And I was like, ah, I kept thinking I was
2: going to cut his head. <laughs> yeah, but like, not good. <laughs> i like knowing that though that's a nice little tidbit to know about you
1: guys (laughs) (laughs) we all want to help one another human beings are like that we want to live by each other's happiness not by each other's misery well are we ready to talk about social justice if it exists in this movie
0: (laughs) (laughs) this movie about rich people problems sure does it exist in this movie well we kind of
2: i think we've talked about it a little bit just just talking about her dilemma the dilemma she would be in as a single woman yeah you know that that's maybe although like i said i don't i don't feel like the movie has much interest in it on that level i can't think of any other thing about it that sort of gets at the social justice thing
1: yeah i mean they don't they don't really address class at all like every almost every person in this movie is a rich person
3: there are a lot of servants in the background like the servants at the house there's the you know the Interns at the office, there's the sleigh people, the baggage people, you know, there's
2: the guy at the, the restaurant, Mama Lucy, guy at
3: the restaurant, and um, other workers at the department store. So they're there, but it just seems like they're a supporting cast for the rich New York socialites who just kind of do whatever they want.
2: Yeah. And you know what just also popped into my head at the restaurant the children. The hungry, oh, children yeah, yeah. hungry children children, yeah. who are just like kind of i don't know i feel like the, they're kind of mocked yeah am i right about that yeah i, I, know that that right. they
0: mock- I mean they're they they def uh the smiths are mocked or well they- the,
2: the, no that the kids like the smiths don't have they don't, they're not moved at all by these hungry kids yeah they just want them to go away yeah and yeah. that's interesting because this is like I mean, a lot of people are still in depression mode at this point.
0: I didn't think that they were mocking them. They were just like uncomfortable by the fact that they were trying to go have a nice evening out and they wanted to like sit outside like they used to. And then they go and all these hungry children are staring at them. And yeah. then their solution is not to, like, like get these kids some food, but to, like, go back inside.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, and the restaurant itself also could be symbolic of what happened during the Depression, too. Like, that was a yeah. swanky place, or at least, like, a nice place. And they go back, and it's completely run down. And it it seemed like the guy who was running it might have been an immigrant. And mm. so... Yeah. they were just kind of disappointed like oh that restaurant we liked isn't nice anymore oh well yeah
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that's really interesting because now that i'm thinking about it there are these like little tiny glimpses of like you know the decline and like the anxiety that mike was talking about looming over people and the economic crisis you know it's they, they don't they don't go deep at all but they there are little like pinpoints of it all along the way
0: yeah and similarly there's kind of a throwaway comment about that jeff says about like about fighting for the south in the civil war i think mean, obviously he didn't but his like family did it was some throwaway comment about like fighting on the right side of the the war or something which was found a little bit jarring well I but- oh yeah and I'd then love doesn't love. So go like
1: Anne Anne Ann says something about how her her ancestor like refused to fight or something and he was like well that's
2: good I was like what <laughs> well and she's from the north at least that's she's from mom. Idaho she's from Idaho so like. I was thinking like, oh, I, wa- I, I had forgotten about that, but like that caught my attention. Like obviously his family had fought for the Confederates and it made me think, well, her, you know, if her ancestor had fought, they probably would have been on the Union side. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, and speaking of context, like, at the time in 1940 this you know i think the general viewpoint of the war and reconstruction was gone with the wind it was like much more pro-confederate vision of things generally speaking yeah than very romantic than though. it would be yeah than it would be like now i have totally forgotten about that part then
1: well it was such a throwaway comment <laughs> it was just like oh yes that that war well i guess we have no family conflicts then <laughs> yeah
2: You know, this makes me wonder about the guy who wrote it. It's because to me, like, it makes me think, oh, like, it reminds me of, like, if you had, like, a historian of whatever, some period who, like, can only make money by writing screwball comedies, but they can't help (laughs) themselves from just putting in these teeny tiny little references (laughs) to things that they actually care about, but they can't really, like, go into it all in any (laughs) time i would totally do that <laughs> no. i mean me too no. and i would just know i would know for my own self you know <laughs> yeah there's a message here i don't know <laughs> no. so, yeah. the
3: little the little easter eggs yeah, yeah, exactly. was was the main character also from the south i, I could feel like i couldn't because like she was from the midwest right like she was from idaho or whatever yeah the west yeah and then jeff was from the south like georgia or something and then they met in school there but you know the main character didn't david didn't really have a southern accent
2: no yeah that was unclear you have to figure though like it's an interesting question because like if he was supposed to be from alabama too or from the south you'd think that he would have they would have noticed the two characters have different accents Yeah. He sure didn't seem like a Southerner to me.
0: No. Mm -hmm.
2: And I was actually sort of surprised that that's where they were saying they met, at Alabama.
0: Yeah, I was surprised about that, too.
2: Yeah, it would have made more
1: sense to me if Jeff was from the South, but they met at, like, one of the Ivies
3: or something. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: I guess maybe he could have been from the same area as his wife. Just went to school in the South and then moved the family out to New York for work after he graduated because the mother was there yeah and she was also from yeah. idaho so he does but.
2: say in the very beginning that his wife is from this place in idaho he doesn't say he is, he is. Yeah.
3: yeah yeah it's true mm. so how did they meet mystery
1: we'll never know we'll never know <laughs> or we could write an elaborate
0: backstory Yes, <laughs> that's what this movie needs elaborate backstory yeah totally <laughs>
3: It's your chance for fan fiction, Jen.
0: Yeah. All right, get on that.
3: I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again.
1: <laughs> well, what? So we <laughs> we talked about social justice. How, how do we think this fares with the Bechtel test? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mm.
3: No. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's this is um, we
0: haven't had many movies recently that are just like a hard no. <laughs>
1: I like, yeah. it's well,
0: a hard no. no. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, an, I feel like there's not even any like room for conversation about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah.
1: I wish Anne had had a friend who she could have talked to about all this instead of just going right to Jeff.
0: You know, if she had a friend also a character for your your fanfic um it so. would be me right yeah yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. and i've been like you should leave him
0: <laughs> and i'll marry you <laughs> a you, could both, your, uh, fanfic. Yeah.
1: you could both work at the department store <gasps> um, and then it would be
0: like a, a mashup with carol i was gonna say like carol haha <laughs> She doesn't so have sad.
2: many friends, though that's true that makes me so sad,
3: yeah, yeah, it's kind of strange, like if they're you know like New York socialites, how come they really don't have like his friend is his colleague, and that's a like they don't actually show well, there's
1: that guy in the steam
0: room too, <laughs> oh right, <laughs> they just pay
3: dues to the same b theaters club that they're not friends. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know. I guess it just didn't fit in the in the film. Well so of like it only
0: it only like is like the movie only takes place over the course of a couple of days. So like there there also just wasn't time, I think, for yeah, either yeah. friends were out of um, on like yeah. a yeah. European vacation. Were, yeah, we were
1: her at, friend Jen was out of town. Oh. <laughs> right oh. <bus>. Yeah. <laughs> she was in Philadelphia on oh, yeah. <laughs> <Not laughs> business. <laughs> <laughs> um well are, are we ready to
0: rate who wants to go first like, so, Five what's, stars what's our
3: scale one? again yeah.
0: um, zero to five stars
3: zero to five stars oh
0: boy and just so uh, you know that it's still the only movie that emily and i both have given five stars to is all about eve yeah
3: mm-hmm. i mean i guess i'd probably give it about three stars it's um it's definitely fun it keeps you engaged but there's also just a lot of like crazy antics that you know you have to have the right sense of humor for. Um, Yeah, average to above average.
2: Jen, I wanna hear what you rate it. I would give it three and a half because I feel like Carol Lombard is so fabulous and so good that pretty much anything she's in, she elevates a little bit beyond or a lot beyond what it should be. So I would say like the bones of it are a three. And then she amps it up to three and a half. And if it had been a little bit stronger, it would have definitely been a four. Because I think she, if she'd had a little bit more, as you say, a little bit more dialogue, a little bit more to do, um, if her character as written had had a little more depth, it would definitely have been the four category for me. Mm-hmm. Emily, what you about go- you? She's going last.
0: Oh, I'm <laughs> gonna- <laughs> going to um, give it a three and a half as well, partly because I think it does a Pretty okay job at doing like the screwball comedy stuff, but I like if you compare it to some of the other screwballs that we've seen that are just like like just have a little bit more physical comedy in a like physical sense rather than like a violent sense. I feel like this movie falls a little bit short in just like like the physical comedy piece of it. I mean, obviously, I know there's a lot of like falling down,
3: <laughs> not enough mugging,
0: not <laughs> enough. Comedy. What did we rate
2: *Arsenic and Old Lace*? Do you remember at all? Mm-hmm. Okay, because one thing, and I, I'm going out of turn here, but like one I'm thing, like, this what? movie also doesn't have that. Say *Arsenic and Old Lace* has, which I can't. If I'm thinking, I must have rated it f- like four and a half or five. Is just really interesting, like cinematography and yeah. you know a design that's just sort of like out there artistically. This was pretty conventional, yeah, in terms of
0: that. I think it definitely is like. Fairly conventional. What? What what will you rate it? Yes.
1: Um, I was gonna say the same. We're consistent as, as couples. I was gonna give it a three as well. Um, and that's a good point about the cinematography because we noted in a couple places that it was kind of shaky, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, I mean, I know that's just a thing in some in older movies, but that it bothers me a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I liked it. And in terms of screwballs, like my level of tolerance for them varies. And like I enjoyed this one a lot more than I do some of the others. Like, it it was, like, a level of absurdity that i I could, like, sort of suspend my disbelief enough to, like, get into it. And
2: I laughed a lot. So I would give it a three. And I'm
1: glad you had us watch it because... I had never seen it.
2: Well, and you know what? Like before I got obsessed with Carol Lombard, I never knew it existed. The only Mr. and Mrs. Smith I knew about was the one with Brad Pitt <laughs> mm-hmm. and Angelina Jolie, and I'm just glad to know there's another <laughs> <new> Mr. <mysteries. laughs> it was hard to like do
1: research on this movie cuz it that the, the Angelina Jolie movie just kept
2: coming up everywhere. Yeah, okay. this this movie's kind of lost. I think, I mean, I I just feel like you don't, you don't hear about it. Like if you're reading about Carol Lombard or Hitchcock, you, it just doesn't come up easily. You know, it's not going to be, it's not going to, it's just not the typical reference. You yeah. have to really look for it. I think, I don't know how and- the heck we found it. See, this is what obsession will do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoy too, that this like falls into
1: that category of the like remarriage plot, that I enjoy in older movies where it's like kind of how they could explore things like outside of the relationship, but still, you know, be kosher. Mm. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, a a lot of other movies do this too. And I always find those fun where it's like, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to get divorced and get back together, or we're going to find out we weren't married or the spouse I thought was dead is really alive. And I was about to marry someone else. (laughs) Or, you know, those (laughs) I, I enjoy those plots, so like that was another point in favor for this one. Never thought about that, but that's really true. Hillary, do we decide on a next movie? Okay, so our next movie is uh, Laura. Yeah, and thanks, Jen and Mike, for joining us.
3: Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was fun. A lot of fun.
0: May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens.
1: Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us.
0: And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening.
3: After all, tomorrow is another day.